Premier Christian Newscast. Hello and welcome to Premier Christian Newscast. I'm Tim Wyatt. It's hard to spend any time in the church these days without constantly coming up against so-called Christian celebrities. Whether it's the worship at church dominated by big-name American worship leaders, the never-ending parade of new books from that handful of inspiring writers, or the world-famous mega-pastors whose sermons are endlessly shared in clips online, the entire infrastructure of the church seems to rely on these high-profile individuals who've become famous for their ministries. But is any of this actually healthy? Nikki Gumbel, the head of Alpha in the former longtime vicar at Holy Trinity Brompton Church, and himself an undeniable Christian celebrity, has announced that Alpha's latest leadership conference is not going to publicise the names of its speakers and worship leaders in advance to try and counteract what he decried as Christian celebrity culture. Should we celebrate efforts like this to damp down on fame? Or is it unavoidable that gifted Christians who offer their ministry to the church will become well-known and, well, why shouldn't they? This week, I'm joined by Emma Fowle and Sam Hales from Premier Christianity magazine to try and think through the pitfalls and blessings of celebrity culture in the church. Well, hi, Sam and Emma. Thanks so much for joining us on the newscast again. Um, we're going to talk today about uh, the the thorny issue of celebrity culture in the church. And this has all been prompted by news you may have seen that um, the leadership conference, which is one of the probably the biggest kind of Christian conferences around run by um, Alpha and, and Nikki Gumbel and lots of people out of Holy Trinity, Brompton, HTB, has said uh, that this year that they're not going to pre-announce the names of any of the worship leaders or the speakers who are going to be headlining the, the conference in an effort to combat uh, what what Nicky Gumbel described as celebrity culture. And he said in, in an interview, he said, we're done with celebrity culture. It's now all about Jesus. Um, first up, Emma, what do you think of this idea? Is it a good idea? Oh, I mean, on paper, I think it's an absolutely brilliant idea. And when I first heard this quote, um, we were excitedly discussing this in our editorial morning meeting. Unfortunately, Sam and um, our other colleague, Megan, were much more cynical about it than I was. I, I was really pleased. And they, they being proper hard-nosed journalists, immediately wanted to know <laughs> what's the underlying story? Is there something else going on that we're not being told about? So, yeah, I mean, I guess on, yeah, on surface level, I'm like, OK, great. If this is really because they're over celebrity culture and they want to lead the field in this, I am. A hundred and ten percent behind it. I think it's really healthy and really great. There are lots of questions, though, that we, you know, obviously we're going to dig into in the next half an hour. Where has this decision come from? Is it easier for an organisation like HDB and, and Leadership Conference that already has a well-established brand? All of those sorts of things are ticking away in the background. But yeah, on paper, I'm really for it. What about you, Sam? Yeah, well, you can always rely on me to bring the cynicism. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, suppose for me, there's always a story behind the story. And and the story here is a good one. I agree with Emma. We know there is a problem in large parts of the church with celebrity culture. And I think all of us uh, working in Christian journalism, we are Christians first. And as Christians, we shouldn't be encouraging a celebrity mindset to people. So on that level, it's great. In terms of the story behind the story, it's 
we know that at least one person was booked to be at this conference and had to pull out. And so if you're being really cynical, you say, well, they lost one of their big name speakers. But I've got to balance that with, you know, Nicky Gumbel is the person who announced this. And from everything I know of Nicky Gumbel, um, I think he's an amazing man who God has used powerfully and a very humble man. And so if Nicky Gumbel is saying we've made this decision because we're concerned about celebrity culture and that is the reason, then it's a great reason. But I've got to be honest and say there's there's normally one or two reasons behind a decision like this. And I think part of it may be that for whatever reason, at least one of the, the main speakers they were planning on having uh, perhaps couldn't make it anymore. And so it, it, then that could have fed into this decision as well, perhaps. I mean, we should say for people who haven't come across it, the leadership conference is, is quite a big deal. I mean, they've had some incredibly high profile speakers, loads of the big name kind of American megachurch pastors people have heard of. But even I think they had Tony Blair one year. Like it is among, certainly in the UK church, probably the highest profile platform you can have as a as a Christian speaker. So, you know, putting aside Sam's cynicism about whether they that they, they think the lineup this year doesn't quite compare, if they do have a really kind of chunky, impressive lineup, it's quite sacrificial, you could argue, for Alpha and the people behind the conference to say, we're not going to trade and sell tickets on the basis of these incredibly big names that we've lined up. Yeah, and and I guess the proof of the pudding really will be post-event, won't it, when we look at the speakers? And like you say, if there was this amazing roster, um, then I will feel 100% vindicated in my workplace. I was the one <laughs> saying that. No, I'm joking. Um, yeah, but you're, you are right. But the flip side of that is, you know, we had an opinion piece written online this week by Eddie Arthur in which he argued... HDB and the Leadership Conference is an incredibly well-established brand. It's been going for years and years and years. Anybody who's ever been to it before will know, like you say, they have they do have an incredible roster. They do have great connections. It is at the Royal Albert Hall. Tickets are fairly expensive. You're pretty much guaranteed a good lineup, you would hope. So you're not selling from scratch. And in that respect, they can afford as a brand to perhaps not make such a big deal of the individuals that may or may not be there in 2023 because most people know you can rely on this event to deliver it's probably in the same way that you know spring harvest may not have to advertise its festival lineup so much or big church day out you know most people know these are big events that are going to deliver quality and that we're going to enjoy the harder thing i guess is when you're a smaller or less well-known event how do you, you know, not platform people, but still advertise and, you know, not use that for marketing purposes, I guess, is where it gets a little bit trickier. And ultimately, we know that whoever they've got lined up, however big a name they are, they are going to be a Christian celebrity of some description. They're, they're not inviting the Reverend Joan Bloggs, you know, vicar of St. Mary's Lower Nethethwaite to come and talk on the Royal Albert Hall, no matter how spiritual she might be and how groundbreaking her insights and leadership might be, the people they have booked are going to be, to lesser or greater extent, Christian celebrities. So you could argue it's a bit rich for, for Nicky Gumbel et al to, to take a kind of, have the plaudits of fighting celebrity culture while charging upwards of £200 a ticket for Christians to come to the Royal Albert Hall and listen to Christian celebrities speak. Well, the, the argument that Eddie Arthur made at PremierChristianity.com was that actually, if I am spending £200 on a conference ticket, I'd really like to know who I'm going to see uh, <laughs> because it is a lot of money. I, I mean, I put my personal opinion on that is I do think we have to be a bit careful as Christians when we moan about the cost of events, because the truth is, if you go to a mainstream leadership conference, you are going to be paying £500, £600 
possibly more than that. So even a £259 ticket to the Royal Albert Hall in the context of leadership conferences is not a lot of money. I would defend Big Church Day Out and similar Christian festivals who charge in the reason of £60, £70 for a, for a day ticket. Again, compare that with Glastonbury or any other mainstream music festival. It's half the price or, or less. So I'm always slightly cautious of, of this concern about it's too much money because I think, generally speaking, Christian events are far cheaper to go to than their mainstream equivalents. But I, I, I must take issue, Tim, with this this use of the term Christian celebrity. I feel like it gets, it gets chucked around a lot. And I always want to ask... What do we mean by Christian celebrity? Because I think there are some forms of that we would all agree is wrong. But there's some forms of that I would want to defend. For example, let's take someone like Francis Chan, who is constantly running away from book deals and uh, speaking at conferences because he says, I've got an issue with my pride and I want to develop a Christ-like humility and I don't like being on these platforms. The reason he is on all of these platforms, though, is because he's actually got some good things to say and because god has done amazing things through his ministry so he might be running away from christian celebrity rightly but actually if all we mean by christian celebrity is you've got something good to say because god has worked through your ministry therefore you have a large platform i don't have a problem with that personally i want to hear from people who god is doing amazing things through and i don't want to just write them off as oh they're christian celebrity we can't possibly feature them in the magazine because we're buying into celebrity culture what do you think, Emma? Is it is it is it unavoidable? If Christian people are gifted, if they're building the kingdom, if God is doing stuff in them, they're going to become well known. Have we all got a bit too kind of po-faced about Christian celebrity culture? It's such a hard question, isn't it? Because I think in, in some respects, especially living as we do today in a social media age, it is kind of unavoidable. Um this month's magazine, um, Carries an interview with Matt Redman. Sam interviewed him a few weeks ago. One of the world's most prolific worship leaders. Yeah, you know, everybody knows his songs. And in that, um, he says something that really stuck with me. He said, "I'm so glad that I grew up as a worship leader in a, in an age before social media because I wasn't." given all this exposure and all the temptations and all of the distractions that come with it. But for people who are growing up in that, it, it's an incredibly difficult thing to navigate well and the way that our world is geared now means that it's almost unavoidable you know there are there are exceptions like people like Francis Chan that Sam just mentioned who might sort of proactively opt out but for a lot of people if you want a record deal if you want to publish a book if you want to speak as a living if you feel that's what god's calling you into you have to have a platform you know publishers want it music music publishers want it so you have to build it in order to earn a living in that world. And so what's the choice? You know, I, I don't do this, even though it's what I love and what I feel called to do, or I do engage with this. And I do try and build my platform because it's what my industry expects. And I try and navigate it well. You know, like Sam says, there are some people who are not even, you know, it just comes to them by accident, by dint of what they do and, and who they are. And should they lay that down? It, it's just, it's such a minefield. I don't know what the answer is really to be honest other than we try as christians to navigate it wisely hmm. it's interesting you mentioned matt redmond because i was going to say i think worship music is one of those areas of church life where you see the kind of perils and the 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 as you say the kind of the knife edge of how do you walk that line of because no one i think would object to there being i think professional worship leaders and songwriters that's fine and if if that's your job then you need to make money and you need to sell your albums and go on tour to make a living that's fine but is it, I think we all feel a bit uncomfortable if we would go, went to a kind of a worship 
leaders concert and it was indistinguishable from your kind of a secular band you saw the next week you know and it's about how do you how do you pursue this kind of ministry which involves becoming famous without it corrupting and and holding on to something of the distinctive kind of christ-like humility that should set christian celebrities apart from secular celebrities yes yeah exactly and it was a good answer for matt redmond to that very question when i said the u.s in particular has this entire and it is an industry people may not like that word but it is and there's this entire machine promoting worship music and you can make a lot of money out of it and and matt redmond's response to that was i think a very fair one which is that you've just got to keep your own side of the street clean and you you can be in a, a negative environment in a machine that you have some problems with, but actually it's about your own heart and it's down to you as an individual to keep your heart right, which I thought was a, a fair question. I'm always impressed with uh, the vast majority of worship leaders I meet who generally come across as very humble people. I think the problem they have is they are inside a machine whose job it is is to promote them. And that is the way music works. You have someone who's in charge of your marketing and in charge of your photo shoot and is going to book you tour dates. And you have the most humble worship leader in the world, but you stick them inside that kind of machinery and it's going to be a challenge. I think Matt Redman was admitting it can be a challenge at time to operate in that world. Um, It's not an easy thing to do, but I am encouraged the vast majority of worship leaders I meet, and obviously I meet a few in this job, they genuinely do seem to be in it for the right reasons, even though I completely understand those who from the outside looking in look at it and have some issues with the mechanics and the machinery of it that looks like it's promoting a a particular individual. I mean, a key example of that, of how sometimes the it looks like we're about building up and kind of puffing up the ego of the individual was a was a kind of row that sparked a couple of years ago when uh, Hillsong United and Chris Tomlin were doing a, a tour together and they were selling what they were they called themselves VIP packages, you know, for I don't know how much more, how many more dollars it was, but you could pay some more on top of your ticket and you got, you know, a fairly, in my view, uninspiring list of perks such as a, a good seat near the front you know early access to the merchandise store some kind of meet and greet afterwards and you could have a photo opportunity on the catwalk of the stage and all this stuff and and there was a really fascinating debate where you know one person said look this is the the epitome of kind of toxic celebrity culture you know these worship leaders are all supposed to be pointing our eyes to Jesus not to themselves you know what happened to facilitating our worship and then there was an interesting piece in in Prima Christianity from Crystal Wellen, you know, the lead lead singer of um, Ren Collective. One, you know, himself, as he admits, a kind of minor Christian celebrity who'd get stopped for selfies in the street from time to time, saying, "The reality is, without these VIP packages, a lot of Christian worship artists' tours wouldn't break even, and without the tours, they wouldn't be able to do it for a living because they don't make money from streaming or or, or album sales anymore." And and is there an argument to say this is a kind of almost a necessary evil that's my words not his about how do we if we want to fund a kind of thriving worship ecosystem we we need to maybe you know dip our toe into some of the less savory parts of of kind of music promotion yeah i think i think there's a truth in that and uh, again it's so much of it does go back to sort of what is in an individual's heart no one wants to sort of puff celebrities up or especially worship leaders but also I used to I used to work for a Christian festival and um a really small one that didn't do VIP packages but one of the things I really remember from that um from when my own children were small was after the the main stage sets the the artists would go into the main hall and they'd be selling albums and the kids could queue up and buy an album and get it signed and 
unvariably as soon as the set came to an end like all these kids would start running for the hall and they want to keep and they queue up for hours just to to speak to these guys and get them sent to sign their their records and my kids were no exception and there's a part of you it's kind of like this is a bit weird that christians are leading worship and the other part of me as a parent and as a christian parent in particular is like do you know what i'd really rather they were idolizing these people <laughs> than some dodgy secular artist whose morals may not be quite as nice you know and it was a really beautiful time actually for a lot of kids to eyeball someone that they could genuinely look up to who they genuinely found inspirational as a Christian and engage with them and come away feeling like on top of the world and there's a part of me that really actually wants to celebrate that and say this is brilliant like what what great role models isn't it fantastic that these kids can meet someone who is very little famous you know in 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 the whole world but for them is a really big deal so there is a part of me as well that's just like do you know what let's celebrate people who are doing great stuff for the kingdom and if yeah. they get a little bit famous in the process uh, uh, who cares i don't know yeah and it's it's all about how you're using that influence isn't it you know the people you mentioned are using their influence for good to inspire young christians hopefully to live a live a christian life um you know and again, I, I can think of well-known worshippers on those platforms who, you know, if they're honest, and sometimes when I interview them, I encourage them to be honest, they do say things like, yeah, kids do run up to me at Soul Survivor or pick your, obviously that's not, that festival hasn't run for a few years, but you know what I mean? Some big event. And they say, I want to be like you when I'm older. How can I be a worship leader? And again, you can bemoan that and say, what a terrible culture we've we've created. And, and maybe there's there's some, some truth in that. But at the same time, you want to know what's the worship leader saying? Is the worship leader responding to that question by saying that's a great thing to aim for in life and let me pass you on to my agent? Well, no, they're not. They respond and say, oh, that's that's really great that you want to sing songs to Jesus. Get stuck in with your local church, serve your local church. And any of us who serve in local churches know that there's no glitz and glam in that. And so actually repurposing that young person's desire, if there is a good desire there, of I want to worship God, the big name, quote unquote, worship leader, encourage them to get stuck in their local church rather than stroking their ego and talking about, yeah, you know, one day you could record a, a record in some fancy studio. You know, I think that's that's an important point here in terms of how these worship leaders are using their influence. And again, in my experience, they, they're they trying to at least to use whatever platform, whatever celebrity they have for the good of the kingdom. So we can and we should critique the structures and the culture. But actually, on the individual level, I find often, again, they're in it for the right reasons. Premier Christian Newscast. Premier Christian Newscast. To be devil's advocate here, is there not a different way we could have constructed the kind of Christian industry? You know, we, we've just presumed that to have speakers and authors and worships music musicians, they need to be able to run themselves as functioning businesses, which entails, you know, the tours and the VIP packages and the, the self-promotion and having the kind of soft focus arty shot of them with their guitar on the front of the album cover as though they're selling themselves and all that stuff. 
But actually, is there not an alternative universe where actually every worship leader was embedded and employed by a local church and their music was given away for free because it wasn't their income to the wider church? And we didn't all know Tim Hughes's name off by heart and immediately know what he looks like and what he had for breakfast because we read his profile in Premier Christianity. We were just like, oh, yeah, he's that guy who writes all these songs that I enjoy, but he's some he's he's anonymous and he just works for some anonymous church. And that could be true of any kind of Christian creative. That could be true of, of speakers. And I don't know, there's, there is another way where, and I see it myself, I can think of some, some, Christ, some, some kind of pastors and church leaders who have quite consciously chosen not to kind of hammer away at the speaking circuit and churn out a book over their sermons every year because they say, do you know what my primary calling is to this church? And yes, I would love to have a bigger impact. And maybe when I've got something really big to say, I'll write a book on the side, but I'm not going to allow myself to get sucked into that becoming a massive part of my income and ministry. And therefore I'm forced to get to kind of build the celebrity around it. Yeah, definitely. I think that there definitely is, um, a I guess a, a small part of that we've created this problem ourselves and perhaps it's because it mimics how the world works there's that's the case and that, there are, I know there are lots of movements um especially within worship aren't there like growing underground movements now to try to re-equip the church to sing songs that are local and I, I think back to my own childhood when I first became a Christian as a teenager in the 90s. And we used to sing an awful lot of songs, actually, which our own worship team wrote. Or definitely more that were written in the UK, I think, because before the Internet, there wasn't that sort of we weren't as connected to the US market, particularly. And I think the, the growth of those really big record labels in the States that have come out of Hillsong and Bethel in particular have really changed that dynamic. And I know that there, there are a lot of people that are not particularly happy with that and, and think that there there could be a better way. And it's interesting reflecting on that in the light of recently what's been going on at Asprey University with the revival there and and everybody saying that one of the, the real markers of that was the lack of leadership from the front. There wasn't this central charismatic figure. There weren't well-known worship leaders, even though as the days and weeks progressed, quite high profile figures were were coming to visit and you know offering their services even and, and they were very clear from the front no we're not we're not just gonna we're not gonna invite a really high profile worship leader on now we're just gonna keep doing what we're doing with the students that are at the university it's 19 20 year olds no fog machines no lights no lyrics just jesus and you know whoever's around and i think there is a health in that and i wonder if at some point we might be headed toward a, a sort of a slight re-correction re towards that more in the UK. What do you think, Sam? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, a lot of that reminds me of uh, a piece we ran as well on this topic. As you can tell, we, we cover this uh, topic quite a lot of Premier Christianity, and it, and it really does get people talking. And this article is no exception, which was entitled Why Christian Leaders Should Stop Building Their Platform. And really the onus being on individuals here um the individual the onus being on all of us in different ways especially us who work in publishing and the media because you could argue well is premier christianity helping or hindering this culture and you know we can we can talk about that but this particular article was arguing hey if you're a speaker and you're about to speak at some big cathedral somewhere you don't have to take a picture of all the empty seats and write a tweet saying 
please pray for me before I preach the gospel in front of thousands of people. And, you know, I know this is hard because it's going to sound like I'm judging motives and I probably am. But but sometimes I see those tweets and I do struggle with them. And this article was saying, you know, what if we didn't let everyone know where we were speaking, what we were writing or how amazing our ministry is? What if we let others say it of us? Sure, it's a hit to the ego, but isn't that part of our walk with Jesus for us to become less and for him to increase, for him to have the platform? Yeah, that's a really challenging statement from William Wade, um, a pastor who is not well known and who has a problem with with the kind of culture that we've arguably created. Hits home for me. You know, do I have to share every single article I've ever written on social media? Well, I don't. And and it's it's one to check my motives. Why am I doing this? Am I making this all about me or is it because I genuinely want to share this? So, you know, I think the, the rubber hits the road for all of us as individuals in this culture where all of us are publishers. Actually, if you've got a Facebook account, a Twitter account, you are a publisher. Uh, not everyone's aware of that. And some people run into legal troubles. Um, um, you know, those of us who work in media have to report on this when people, for example, say things that are libelous on Twitter and then find themselves quite shocked they're about to be sued. So, you know, you are a publisher that the law doesn't differentiate between a Twitter account and a newspaper in some ways. And so all of us have influence. All of us are putting stuff out into the world. What are we putting out? Are we really making Jesus priority? Or is it just a bit tempting sometimes to brag about the stuff we're doing, even brag about the ministry stuff we're doing? Um, so I find it a really challenging conversation just for me personally. And I think for all of us on, on how we use the influence that, you know, I believe is God given influence. But God's given us all different influence. But um, are our hearts in the right place and how we use that? It's really interesting talking about social media, because I think, as you say, not only is, is everyone now a publisher, but everyone is almost. The, the, well, the way the platforms work, they almost trick us into thinking that we are kind of like a public figure. And you see this when big news happens, everyone feels the need to kind of like tweet their statement on the Queen's death, even if you're not objectively, you know, Justin Welby or Pope Francis, someone who's who's feeling on the Queen's death are, are actually of any import at all. Um, and I, I agree with you. Emma. I think it was fascinating to see how the kind of the Gen Z students at Asbury were very consciously reacting against that. Um, and saying we don't want to put someone on a pedestal we don't want to to associate this revival with an individual and I think I suspect I don't know for sure but I suspect in part because they're tired of seeing all the the famous Christian celebrities you know fall you know the Carl Lentzes and you know the the I mean endless names right you know from mega church pastors who have who have who've come a cropper in recent years you know not now clearly not all of that is a lot of that is just personal sin rather than you know celebrity culture but you know, if you don't have celebrity pass in the first place, it's not quite as destructive to the kingdom and to the church when they do spectacularly fail. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's that's a massive problem, isn't it? When you have these these huge platforms and they are there are links between individuals, churches, bands, platforms, they become brands in their own right, don't they? And one falls and it has this huge knock on effect to everybody else. It's, it's like, you know, when a um, any kind of brand disassociates from a, a pop star or a sports star because they've done something disgraceful, it's the same sort of now happens in the Christian world. You, you have a brand like Hillsong and when allegations come out against its founder, Brian Houston, it it invariably impacts when Maverick City uh, disassociates from Dante Bao over bit behaviour that sort of no one really knows the details of, but we all get this sense of something dodgy's gone on. It's damaging. And so I understand really that in some respects, you know, it, it, 
it may be a protective measure going forwards if if those links weren't there and if there wasn't one central charismatic figure that's on some kind of pedestal when something like Ravi Zacharias and RZM Ministry is another massive example you don't bring down a whole global ministry because of one person's personal sin and arguably they are interconnected because quite often there are interconnections between someone's personal sin and the opportunities they have or the distractions or the temptations they're faced with or the way that they get disassociated from people that can speak into their life or or bring them correction or discipline those things get hard when you're famous everybody knows that so if you're famous in a, a christian world and you become isolated from those around you you don't have good friendships you don't have good pastoral oversight the risk of you slipping into sin is going to be even greater. And that's before you even start talking about super spiritual things like temptation and the devil not wanting you to, you know, minister in the fullness of what God's called you to. So obviously those things are all going to be heightened when you're sitting removed from everybody else because of your celebrity status, perhaps. Definitely. I mean, if I think on a flight of fancy, another parallel universe in where where Christian journalists became celebrities rather than just worship leaders and pastors. You know, there's a part of me that would obviously be, love it if millions of people were reading my words and, and and you know, going, oh, yes, what a great article by Tim White or what a fascinating podcast. But I also know it would be unbelievably unhealthy for me and my own personal spirituality. And, and, and I don't want to be famous because, you know, I just think it's really, really hard to kind of to maintain your integrity and your walk with God. And that, you know, I don't envy your, your Matt Redmonds and and whoever else, your Nicky Gumbles, because to be able to sustain, you know, your own personal spirituality in the face of all the temptation and the pressure and the 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 kind of inbuilt human desire we have to build the platform and to and to when you have children coming up wanting your selfie and stuff like, yeah. It just I just think for yeah. me personally and for you know, it makes me reflect what is it doing to our worship leaders, our speakers, our book writers. To have to 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 bear that that weight um, over their heads, yeah. it's like that uh, famous Jim Carrey quote: "I wish everyone could become rich and famous because then they'd understand it's not the answer." And you know, you've even got you know in that case mainstream secular celebrities saying, "Look, of course, of course, there are benefits to fame. No one's saying there isn't, but actually, it's not it's not going to fill the uh, void in your soul." And it's also going to come with some complications. I remember way back when Vicky Beeching, who at the time was very well known as a as a worship leader, wrote that song yesterday, today and forever. She she was remarking how everyone just wants more followers on Twitter and people want a bigger platform. And she says, honestly, my biggest problems in life have come from having a big following. It's not all it's cracked up to be. And um, and there's there's something in that, which is actually this thing that we we can all be guilty of chasing after. Um, can be actually can be quite damaging, and you know there's a there's a list as long as your arm of particularly young people getting famous at a really early age, and it it just messing them up mentally. And, and you think we kind of have a responsibility, I think, to Christian leaders and worship leaders to not encourage them to believe their own press and to and to stay humble as much as possible. And I I do think one of the best ways of doing that is just taking the mick out of them, frankly. Um I mean that's that's the way my friends keep me humble. If they say, oh yeah, Sam, how's that big shot for Prebacus? They just take the mick. And then and I think that's enormously helpful. Have people in your life who keep you grounded. Amen to that. And you know, keep opening yourself up to some healthy scrutiny from from professional Christian journalists to help you keep you grounded as well. Doesn't hurt, does it? 
Definitely. I'm always here to help, Tim. If you ever want someone to take the mick out of you, I'm all, I'm always here to to rubbish all your articles. No, not really. You're a great writer, but you know, if your head gets too big, I will just start dissing you on social media to bring you down a bit. That's fine. I'm, I'm sure. I, I'm sure I deserve it. Um, thanks very much, Emma and Sam, for your time as always. I hope you two never become too famous. Um, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, we'll speak to you again next week. Cheerio. Bye bye. That's it for this week's Premier Christian Newscast. But if you've enjoyed what you've heard, please do leave us a review on whatever podcast app you use. And why not also tell a friend about the show? Don't forget to also subscribe to the podcast on your phone or tablet to ensure that you receive each episode automatically sent to your device week by week. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Premier Christian Newscast. 